This is the BC Buckets Podcast, the official podcast for Briarcliff University Basketball. This is Matt Gall, joined here in the coaches' offices at the Newman Flanagan Center with head coach Mark Figuera. And uh, we've got a guest here today, a guy who had a, a pretty big week for the Cliff, uh, both for the, the program and also some individual accomplishments, and that is uh, junior player Ethan Friedel, or Cheese, as our listeners may recall, uh, is his nickname. So, uh, Ethan, let's just let's get right into it. Uh, this week you became the Cliff's 46th 1,000-point scorer. Uh, awesome club to be in. How did, how did it feel to, to you know, make that accomplishment and join that group of uh, guys who are, are pretty legendary around the Cliff? Yeah, it felt great. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys I looked up to the past couple of years, you know, they're all in the 1,000-point club. And, you know, it's kind of been a goal of mine just to, you know, do as much as I can to help this team. If that's scoring points, then that's what I'm going to do. And uh, yeah, finally got over it, and it's just it's it's a good feeling. Now, aside from that, you had a, a pretty big week. Like I said, uh, we had two conference games this week. You went 33 and 30 in those games, just huge performances. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about Jackson putting up points this year, um, but you know, I think this week it, it was just proof that we have guys all over the floor who can score and you're no surprise I mean obviously with the career you've had reaching that milestone here in your junior year uh, you're somebody that we've come to expect can can put some points up but uh, what about this week felt different to you if anything is it just one of those things where when you feel it going it you know you feel it going yeah you know I kind of just um Kind of just had to get my rhythm back, and uh, a bunch of my, you know, all my teammates trust me. We all trust each other. You know, Jackson can go for 30 any single night. You know, Jaden's a great scorer, and it's like everybody trusts each other. And uh, this weekend or this week, I had I had it going, so you know they trusted me, and that's kind of how it ended up. All right. Well, we'll talk about that here in a minute, uh, and actually, we'll we'll kind of talk about that as we talk about this last week's games. And uh, we'll start with Wednesday night's game, home game here at Briarcliff against Dakota Wesleyan. Uh, as we've talked about in the past, great rivalry, always a fun game between those two programs. And, uh, you know, you guys kind of kept, kept things rolling with beating some ranked teams. They came in ranked number 10, I believe, uh, and we take care of them on the home court. Coach, what did you see out there on Wednesday night that you liked? Well, I thought we had a real urgency to us um, from the tip on both ends of the ball. and. And we had a defensive game plan that I thought the guys executed pretty well. And then when they adjusted to it and, and we needed to adjust some things at halftime, I thought the guys did a really good job of, of handling that and, and executing what we wanted. And felt like, you know, a lot like last Saturday's game against Morningside where I really felt like we controlled a lot of the game. We were in the lead for the bulk of it. And, and when they made their run, and, and I think we went from up seven to down four in a pretty quick span there. I thought our guys got a couple big stops. We made a couple big plays offensively. And from there, we ended the game, I think it was 14-3 to three or something like that, 14-2 to two or something like that down the stretch. And, th and that was really good to see. You know, we came out of a timeout in a tie game, and we had, we had our set ready to go, what we wanted to do, what we were trying to get. And, and it was for Ethan, and he had the ball. He was going to give it up and end up getting it back. And, and they had a, a little bit of a mishap defensively and he ended up with a wide open three and knocked it in and and that kind of set the stage and I think before that 
they had a rebound that that we ended up stealing and Ethan hit a three on that one too and and those were a couple big plays we made and as 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 well as he played and um you know Ty Hoagland for Dakota Wesland scored 33 points I thought we did a pretty good job defending him I thought we made things hard for him at times um he definitely hit some tough shots but when when it came down to it we we got a couple big time stops and and that was fun to see you know just to be able to go a couple games in a row where we really controlled things and and I think played to the level we're capable of playing every single night and and that was a really fun game to to win down the stretch and anytime you can get a rivalry game it's it's a good win. Jaden Clint Hessling had 16 points that game uh, with eight rebounds he had a really nice game. Jackson with one of the more pedestrian nights that we've seen out of him uh, but you know this goes to show that like I said earlier really anyone can step up and contribute to a team win so it's nice to see when Jackson's having a you know a mediocre game stat wise uh, and I'm sure he did a lot of things that don't show up on the, st the stat sheet uh, but it's got to be nice to know that you have other guys who can step up and fill those roles yeah for sure and and after the week Jackson had a week ago and and being the GPAC and national player of the week um, he obviously is going to get a lot of attention and it's not like he wasn't before but that a lot of times just allows other guys to step up and you look at the two games and I know we're going to talk about yesterday's game here in a bit but this week Ethan had 33 and 30 and, and Jaden had 16 and 20 um, and, and things open up for those guys a little bit if, if somebody's so focused on Jackson and the the opposite can be true you know after the week Ethan has there's a chance he's going to get a lot of attention coming up these next couple of games and you know that's going to open things up for other guys and I think Ethan put it best there's a lot of trust amongst the guys for you know we have a lot of shot makers we have a lot of guys who can score the ball and, and that's a luxury to have and and I think the week Ethan had you know he, he was due for that no doubt coming back from an injury and I thought there was times he was playing pretty well he was just struggling to shoot a little bit and I think it was probably a combination of conditioning being a little off after 10 weeks uh, you know just getting the, the rhythm and the flow back and I knew he was due for that sometime. Didn't know when it was going to come, but he, he obviously broke out of that in a big way this week, and, and so that was good. And, you you know, Matt, you mentioned Jaden um, with eight rebounds. I was just looking at our season stats. Jaden's a really good rebounder. He's averaging almost six and a half rebounds a game as a guy who plays, you know, the guard spots for us. He's got a real knack for the ball and had a couple different games this year where he's had double-digit rebounds. Um, he does a really good job of that, and, being that we're not the biggest team or the most physical team, you know, guards like him and Jackson that can get a lot of rebounds, that's a that's an added bonus for us. So then uh, fast forward to Saturday, Midland comes to town, and, you know, you guys are riding a three-game winning streak against three pretty darn good teams. Uh, and Midland comes in, and in the first half, you know, it seemed like things were clicking pretty well. Uh, there were some stretches where we were really in control. And then fast forward to the second half, uh, it seemed like Midland was able to do a lot of things, and uh, their guard, 24, Merritt, mm -hmm. he, uh, you know, he, he, there were a lot of shots that I, I don't know that you could have guarded much better, um, but they also had some, some looks, too, where, you know, things probably could have been shifted around a little better. So they took control in the second half to, uh, to end the winning streak and win here at the Newman-Flanagan Center. Uh, kind of a tale of two halves. Coach, what broke down in the second half? Well, you know, I, I, I think if you step back and look at the game, there was even some things in the first half that that weren't great. 
I thought we gave up a few too many points in transition, you know, where we took a quick early shot or we turned the ball over and it led to easy points. And, you know, I was sitting there at halftime thinking, wow, we're up nine and I feel like we could be up 16, 17 because I just felt we really controlled the half and we did not finish the half very well and, and came out in the second half. And, you know, we just never gotten a good rhythm defensively. Um, you know, and I think the biggest thing that got them going was they had seven offensive rebounds in the second half, and I think on six of them they scored, and on four of them they hit threes. I feel like four or five of them were on one possession. There's one possession where yeah, it felt like a three-minute possession. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. They ended up hitting a deep three off of that, and, and those are killers, you know, because we talk a lot about finding a way to finish possessions, whether it's getting on the floor for a loose ball, coming up with a tough rebound. And, and for our lack of size, we've actually been a pretty dang good rebounding team this year. You know, the stats we look at, we want to get over 75% of available defensive rebounds. And on the season, we're pushing 78 79%. So we've done a really good job. But when you have a run like that in a game, it's just deadly to you. And coupled with, I thought we missed a couple good looks. Um, you know, a couple really good looks, honestly, down the stretch. And just we, we couldn't get a stop down the stretch and it was disappointing you know to lose that way where I thought we were in control for a good chunk of the game and the reality for us now is we need to we need to have a short memory bounce back because we have a ton to play for here these last two weeks of the regular season and if we sit here and feel sorry for ourselves and think oh wow you know we could have beat won this game and this is where we'd be and this is what you know it doesn't do us any good it's over we lost the game and right now we have to get ready for Dort because Dort's pretty dang good. They're playing really well right now, I think. They're a big physical team that uh, the first time we played seems like forever ago. And it was. I mean, we're talking three months ago almost when we played Dort. That was actually the game Ethan got hurt, not to bring that up. but uh, does, ever, does everyone get hurt against Dort? <laughs> it seems like that's the trend the last couple of years. Eric went down against Dort. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's, let's hope that streak ends. Um, on Wednesday night and uh, but uh, you know so we we need to just regroup and bounce back and whatever it was that we had going for those three games we have to find that get it back and and play with that same edge and urgency and and I'm not saying we didn't yesterday we certainly didn't for the whole 40 minutes I thought we did at times we just have to find a way to to consistently play at that level because that eight nine day stretch whatever it was you know, that was the best we've played all year. We all know we're capable of doing it, and we just have to do it again. You know, we need to do it for three more games down the stretch here that we have, and if we do that, we're going to be in a spot where we want to be, and, and we move on from there. But we just we have to get it back at this point. So, like you said, uh, three games all at home, starting with Dort this Wednesday, and then no game on Saturday, uh, but the following week you'll have uh, Jamestown coming up next Wednesday the 19th. And then the regular season uh, closer, I guess, is Doan here on Saturday, the 22nd. So uh, 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock, women play at 6, men will play at 8 this Wednesday against Dort. So make sure you get out here Wednesday. Uh, again, Dort's one of those programs that tends to bring a crowd. So I know their half of the stands are, are going to be pretty full and, and pretty loud. So let's keep it going, Blue Crew, and support these guys for these last three home games. So, Coach, you, you talked a little bit about Dort already, um, but can you just remind us kind of the story of that first game and then what you're expecting to see out of them this week? 
Yeah, the the first game, we were down a point, I believe, at halftime, one or two maybe, and we had some real foul issues. You know, Ethan was in foul trouble. Austin Ropeman was in foul trouble. Um, I think Jackson might have been. We just we had some foul issues going on, and I felt like we really weathered a storm with that to be in the game at halftime and came out in the second half, and, and I felt like they really just physically beat us up. Um, they have a lot of guys they can post. They create some matchup issues for us. And, and this second time around, obviously, we're going to have a different plan, and we're playing quite a bit different defensively now than we were then. We've made some changes here over the last few weeks, and, and guys have done a good job of executing that. Uh, one of the biggest things, and it seems like it's been this way with Dort for a long time, you have to do a really good job rebounding the basketball. And, you know, it's not a – we don't need to win the rebounding battle. But some of those, you know, when I talk 75% of available de defensive rebounds, if we're above that, I would, I would guess we're probably in a position to win the game. And if we're not, if we're drastically below that, we're probably not. You know, the first time we played, I think we only got like 61% of available rebounds. And, and that's going to be a huge key. They have plenty of guys who can shoot the ball. So defending the three-point line will be key. And, and, and just being patient offensively, I thought that hurt us last time. They're pretty aggressive in how they defend, and it sped us up a little bit more than we wanted to. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a good game, and at this point of the year, everybody's playing for something one way or the other, and, and Dort's no exception to that. So it's going to be a fun game. It's another rivalry game we get to play and, and should be a fun atmosphere. So, Ethan, you know, you got hurt, like we said, in that game against Dort, and you were out quite some time. What exactly was the injury? Was it a, a sprain or what? I think it was your ankle, if I recall. Uh, yep. Uh, I had a pretty nasty high ankle sprain. Um, you know, I got an MRI, and, uh, you know, there's still some stuff that's wrong with it. I got some, you know, torn ligaments and uh, kind of a little stress fracture, and, so, you know, I, I screwed it up pretty good. I just I jumped up for some reason, tried to block a shot and came down on a came down on a shoe and rolled it out pretty bad. And it was it was, uh, you know, it was the worst. I've rolled my ankles quite a bit, but this was the worst by far. Yeah, first of all, we're going to use the term jump loosely here. <laughs> Ethan's not a high flyer by any stretch, but, um, you know, I remember it and just the the sounds coming out of his mouth, I knew it was bad. I mean, he's sprained his ankle. He's had some other minor injuries. He messed up his thumb one time. And, he, you know, he's always been able to just jog it off or walk it off, whatever. And, and he was down on the court. So I knew it was pretty bad. And I saw the picture the next day of what it looked like. And in terms of the severity of it, probably the worst ankle sprain I've ever seen. You know, I, I've been around high ankle sprains that will keep a guy out for six or seven weeks. And, I mean, at that point, Ethan was nowhere close to being ready. And and even at the end of it, when we got him back, you know, I, I think he would probably agree with me. We, we probably pushed it a little bit, you know, just we were pretty aggressive trying to get him back. And, and our training staff did a great job working with him every single day. And, you know, they're probably sick of him at this point and, and vice versa. But, uh, you know, he he's really battled through and, and – coming back now and and playing some huge minutes for us and some big games it's it's a testament to how hard he's worked and just some of the toughness he plays with so you know hopefully we just keep it rolling and at whatever point the off season comes he's going to rest it for a while and 
see if we need to do anything else to to make sure he's 100 percent moving forward yeah those are tough i know i uh playing noon ball here at the cliff when i used to be in admissions when administrators and faculty would get together i had a pretty nasty ankle sprain that kept me out of noon ball for quite some time too so i feel like i can relate to you a lot uh but you know mentally i'm, I'm pretty mentally tough so i was able to get through that and um but there's very few people i think you know you and i of course but there's very few people out there who i think have the toughness to be able to go through something like that come back and then you know kind of jump right into to playing a huge role and whatever it is you know with you it's basketball with me it's uh kind of i'm kind of a renaissance man there's a lot of things in my life that uh you know i i excel at so i can relate you know and i i think what when you, when we deal with injuries you think about the physical aspect of it but what's almost as hard and in some cases more difficult is the mental side of it where you're you know, and Ethan's obviously a guy who up until that point was playing a huge role for us and was playing really, really well. And then obviously coming back, he's still playing a huge role for us. But you take that away, and it can be hard on you where it's like every day you have to come to practice, you're sitting there watching, and you can't do anything. You sit there on the bench during games, and you're helpless. And that's that's frustrating. And we, we've certainly, you know, had some ups and downs this year that he had to sit through and watch. And I thought he did a really good job of that for the most part. I know that's not easy, but uh, that part of it, I think, can be just as hard as the physical aspect. Coming back from something like that, mentally, does that – those first couple weeks where you're at full speed again, does that injury stick in your head at all, or were you able to kind of let it behind you? I mean, I'm sure for a while, you know, you were playing kind of gingerly on it as you – adjusted back to to full playing speed but what kind of mental effect does it have you know once you're back on the court fully uh no yeah you're you're exactly right you know right when I, when I came back I mean I was itching to get back out there um but you know playing on it for the first time and I think it was yeah about 10 weeks um you know and coach just coach kept encouraging me he just kept telling me like you know let's gradually get better and better and better you know you're not going to be at the level you were at before you got hurt um you know he kept encouraging me and yeah it's it's tough because you know you can't do the things that you used to be able to do right away and it's frustrating um but you know you like you said you just gotta just gotta take it one step at a time and uh you know yeah at, right away I was kind of you know making sure that I didn't hurt it again you know but then once I got out there and started playing more and more and more and more then you kind of just forget about it just go back to playing so, Ethan, you've had some big games in your career at Briarcliff, and off the top of my head, going on almost three full years now, I think you had 26 in a Sweet 16 game as a freshman. You had 31 or 32 in a Sweet 16 game last year as a sophomore. You had 32 against Graceland, 33 against Dakota Wesleyan, and obviously 30 yesterday against Midland. You know, which one of those stands out to you in, in – in your career of just a game where you just had it going and you just felt like you were really on? Is there one that stands out or is there a couple that stand out? What do you think? Well, actually, um, you know, the Dakota Wesleyan game uh, from a couple nights ago, that was that was a big game for me. Uh, yeah, that once I kind of just – once that first shot went in, I just knew that, you know, I had it going. And then another game that actually comes in my head was – Actually, when we were in Phoenix last year, um, our second game down there, 
you know, the other team was playing in a zone, and I, I just kept getting open look after open look after open look, and I, I think I ended with 33 that game or something, and, you know, that's that's one of the games that really actually sticks out to me. Yeah, that was actually a crazy deal because I think you had, like, 24 in the second half of our first game and then, like, 26 in the first half of our next game. It's like if that would have been a game, you had 50. I kind of forgot about that. That's a good one to bring up, though. Yeah, no, but, yeah, like I said, you know, all those games, you know, like one thing that really sticks out to me is that, that that first shot. If that first shot feels good, even if it doesn't go in, but if it feels like it's on, feels like um, I'm locked in, then then I, I'm I'm due for a big game every once in a while. Yep, and I think that's how you started Wednesday against Dakota Wesleyan. How big of a game is that for you individually? Obviously, we want to win. It's a rivalry game, but you, being a South Dakota guy, you know I know you know and are friends with some of their players. And I also know, and, and for our listeners, your recruitment, you know, your final two choices were Briarcliff and Dakota Weslin. So, I mean, is there extra something there for you when we play those guys? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I told, you know, I told, I was talking, I was working out with Eric before the game, and I told him, you know, this one's always a little more personal to me. Just because, you know, no disrespect, but I just, you know, it's always nice. I played against all those guys in high school, you know. Me and Ty Hogan, we've been friends since, uh, you know, before even grade school. Known him forever, and um, yeah, no, it's always nice be- getting to beat them. Uh, you know, it's it's but it's mutual respect. You know, uh, known those guys forever. Um, been you know, grew up watching Dakota Wesleyan. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely a little more personal game. So yeah, it was it was fun. It was definitely really fun for me that night. One of the more memorable games for me, and, and I say it's memorable, I can't remember exactly who we were playing. It was last year in the tournament up in Sioux Falls, um, and you had been in kind of a slump towards the end of the year a little bit, um, to, to put it lightly, I guess. But uh, you broke out in the second half of one of those games and uh, really, really won the game for us. And I think that's just a testament. There's certain guys who – uh, you know, just have the confidence, even when things aren't going, to keep shooting the ball. And, and you've always seemed to be one of those guys. Which game was that? Do you recall what I'm talking about here? Yeah, that was our uh, that was our Sweet 16 yeah, game. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> that was West Virginia Tech in the Sweet 16. And I think, I think Ethan was 1 for 10 in the first half, 9 for 10 in the second half, and ended with 32 or, or something like that. And um, he got a little bit of a – Let's just call it a pep talk right before halftime on the bench for me. It was an up-close-and-personal pep talk. And uh, in not so many words, I think I told him to pull his head out of somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that uh, I remember that vividly. Um, it was a rough first half for me. Um, but I, w- I just knew. Like, like, it was one of those games I knew that I, I needed to keep shooting because all of them were so close. They were so close. They felt good. They felt good. And then in the second half, you know, I obviously didn't hit, like, any in the first half, so they weren't um, too worried about me shooting. And then finally got some, got a couple good looks to start the half and then, you know, just got in that zone and just knocked in about six or seven in a row. And, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good game for me. Yeah, there are certain performances, individual performances that stand out, and that's one, you know, that, that – I always remember, and of course, it's partly because it's such a big stage and that was a big game. And, um, you know, I think, were they a one seed in that tournament? Yeah, they were. They were the they were the number three team in the country coming yeah. into the tournament and had won their conference. And 
um, that was we we played really really well that game. Just thinking back to that, and you know, I think that that speaks to Ethan's been able to have a pretty short memory in some of those situations because I can think back to his freshman year. I think he went like one for ten in the first round game against Oregon Tech. Now that one was huge for us. Um, it was an and one late in the game that we really needed. You know, and then the next day he has 25 on, on St. Thomas or whatever it is. And, and so that's that's a good quality to have. He's he's definitely has a shooter shoot mentality. Um, and that's when he gets it going, like I, like I said about Jackson a week ago when he was on, when he gets it going, you kind of just have to get out of the way and let him do his thing because he's capable of putting up 30, 40 points when, when it's going. So... So, Ethan, three more games here at home, and then, of course, uh, whatever happens after that, we'll talk about later. But um, three more games at home in your junior year. Um, like we've talked to Jackson a little bit about, middle part of the season didn't exactly go according to plan. But at this point, what's done is done. So what's your approach to finishing the season strong? Uh, I mean, well, first thing that comes to my mind is uh, we got three home games. So um, it's always nice playing in front of the home crowd. And you always got to step up a little bit because you want to protect your home court. Um, so I think, I think uh, like Coach said earlier, we got to have a really short memory. You know, we're going to get ready for Dort on Wednesday. Um, hopefully come out of there with a win if, uh, if we play well. And then we got to forget, you know, we can't dwell on a loss or a win for too long because then we got a, a game the next week we got to get ready for and then another game after that. So I think um, I think going into these last three games, we're just going to have to go all in and, you know, play our tails off and hopefully come out there with three Ws. What have the senior guys on this team meant to you? And uh, also, what's it mean to you, you know, a year from now, you're going to be that guy. And, and uh, your role, although it's already huge and you're already a leader on this team, uh, that's going to be even more the case when you're a senior. So what are the current guys, what have they meant to you in this program, and uh, how do you see yourself adjusting to, to being in that role next season? Well, yeah, I've, I've talked about this with many different people. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I am so thankful that I, I chose here was because I had so many great people to look up to. You know, um, first my freshman, my freshman year, you know, all those seniors uh, – Betts, um, Belling, Janicek, and Blake, you know, they, they were they were a great group of seniors, and they, you know, they always taught me they were really encouraging. And then, of course, the next year, uh, so last year I had two of the best players to ever play here to look up to in Eric Erdman and Jay Wolf. Um, they taught me so much. And, you know, and then this year, uh, Jackson has been one of my closest friends the past three years. Um, so, and he's done a really heck of a job, you know, just stepping up his game for a big senior year. And um, that's that's kind of what I, I, I want to be able to do next year is just step up my game a little bit, um, just take it to the next level just a little bit. So I'm, I'm some, I want to be one of those guys that other people look up to, like I looked up to the people before me. So when we're interviewing, uh, uh, so a freshman who's coming in next year, we're going to be talking to them in three years from now, and we're going to be talking about their seniors when they came in as a freshman. So they're going to be talking about you. Uh, what are the qualities that they're going to be telling us? This is kind of like a job interview. It kind of feels like that. But uh, what are the qualities that they're going to be talking about that uh, Ethan Cheese Friedel brought to the program that made their four-year experience so uh, so important and, and so successful? Well, first things first, uh, they're going to learn that I don't like to lose. Um, 
at all, and I'm gonna push them as hard as as hard as they possibly can go. You know, just to I want them to be at the best of their ability because you know that's great for the team and it's great for them individually. Um, but they're also gonna find out that I'm I'm a really encouraging guy. You know, I I don't like seeing people down on themselves, so I I just I'm gonna tell them um, I'm gonna keep encouraging them as much as I possibly can. Just hopefully use my past experiences to help them get through whatever they have to get through. Um, and then, you know, I just want to be that a great leader, just like the guys before me, like I said. So I think I saw that the Oscar awards are on tonight. So I got to ask, no predictions or anything like that, but uh, what's the best movie you've seen in the last year? Oh, wow. Uh, best, I, love, I love movies. So best movie I have seen in the last year um like oh man this is tough i would have to say it's got to be um avengers avengers endgame i'm a huge marvel guy i've seen every all 23 of them at least twice um and it's it's true i'm a huge nerd when it comes to that stuff and you know it was the kind of the it was kind of the final final movie you know every it was so anticipated and oh yeah that, that had to be it for me coach how about you well, I'm not a huge movie guy, and I think – I don't know if we're going to get to a second hand to count the movies I've watched in the past year for the first time. Um, but the, the best movie I've watched this year was The Irishman. Oh, yeah. That's I, You know, I said last week in our starting five talking about actors, I'm a big mafia movie guy, and uh, that one was really, really good. And I think second would probably be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought that was good, too. I've watched both of those here in the last couple of months, but I'm not a huge movie guy. So I knew right when you started talking about the Oscars, I was probably in trouble in this conversation. So that's that's the extent of what I've got here. Well, let me ask you, like, a, I, I suppose this is either a life rule or a champ or chump, but you can answer this however you want. But I know Netflix movies are, I believe, in consideration for Academy Awards now. What's your what's your stance on that that may be inaccurate but I, i'm pretty sure that's the case should netflix movies be allowed to be in consideration for oscars yeah why shouldn't they fair enough <laughs> all right there you have it it's like the first champ or chump without being a champ or chump i guess yeah I, and that might not even be true uh, but i'm pretty sure it is All right, so coach, let's get into our life rule. And I want to ask you a question um, because I drive the interstate every day. And so this is a situation that comes up pretty frequently where I'm in the right lane, as you should be. You shouldn't be in the left lane. Yeah, you, don't, you don't hang out in the left lane. Right. So I'm in the right lane, and there's another car or a semi or something, maybe quarter of a mile, half mile in front of me. I'm slowly starting to catch them. Um, and then another car in the left lane starts coming up to pass me as I approach the car in front of me. So now the situation is I've got a vehicle directly in front of me and one to the left, maybe just behind me, but I'm ready to pass at that point. And the car to my left continues to pass, maybe going a quarter of a mile an hour faster than I am. So I can't get over while this car just sits in the left lane. Uh, is that appropriate? Can they pass with cruise or should they speed up to no, allow me to get over? No, that's not appropriate. Cruise control is not a come hell or high water thing. If you're going to pass somebody and it's obvious there's other people that are going to pass the same car, semi, whatever, speed up a little bit, get moving. Don't, don't hold things up because you're, you're set on your cruise control. That's an easy one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cause I always feel like, okay, should have I gotten in the left lane way too early? Um, 
but I don't think that's my fault. I think if you're going to make no, the decision you don't, to pass, you, you go pass. Again, you don't you don't hang out in the left lane. The left yeah. lane should be for passing, and so you don't need to hang out over there. I think quarter mile is the the maximum you should get mm-hmm. over. So no, you're in the right here, Matt. There you go. There you have it, Ethan. You got a life rule for us today. Well, um, one thing I was always told by a coach of mine in high school was um, he had he had he had a bunch of rules, but rule number one was always uh, don't eat yellow snow. And I feel like that's common sense, but uh, it's a life rule that I'll never forget. Yeah, the thing is, most of my life rules or life rules in general are common sense that people don't always abide by. Well, and there's you know there's students here at the cliff who maybe aren't from the Midwest or somewhere with snow. And so if we've got a listener who's never been up here, uh, they're probably thankful that you warned them or they're panicking because they already maybe not heeded your advice and they're wondering why you gave that advice. But uh, if that's the case, just go Google it. You're probably going to be okay. Um, But uh, great advice, a helpful reminder not to eat yellow snow. So with that, let's go into our champer chumps and i i think we have a couple guest champer chumps if i'm not mistaken yeah we do actually my dad who's a loyal listener to the podcast threw a couple at me a few days ago and i i answered them to him but i think they need to be repeated on the on the podcast here so the first one is champer chump in basketball when a foul's called or a whistle blows and a player shoots a shot after the whistle and i i say that's a chump it's definitely a thing that happens. It happens all the time in the NBA, and I'm going to guess that the guy sitting across the table from me disagrees and is going to say champ on that. But uh, I say chump, whistle stops, just stop, give the ball to the ref, and let's move on. You want to comment on that, Ethan, because you are a offender of this, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I have offended this um, many times, you know, and I, I, I'm going to say champ. You know, when you got it going – you want to see that thing go in, and you get a wide-open look with no defense. Why not just let the thing fly? You know, don't if it's if it's way after the whistle, you know, then but like one, like two, three seconds after the whistle, and you you got you're about to go up for a shot. Let that thing fly. See one go in. Coach, how what's your opinion then on a field goal kicker who kicks the field goal after? the icing timeout gets called well i think it's the same thing so it, it's it's a chump whistle blows but isn't that a chance to see what the wind's doing see if there's any atmospheric things that might affect it or at least just mentally I have suppose the confidence and i i feel like a lot of times when that happens the timeout is like almost happening simultaneously and the kicker's already in motion and you know ready to kick the field goal so i I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but if you know what's happening and you hear the whistle, just stop. You know, and kickers are pretty mentally fragile, it seems. So if you miss that one, yeah, it doesn't hurt you, but, man, it could hurt you. Sometimes, though, the kicking team's coach will call the timeout, and then the kicker will kick it, and then everyone's second guess is, why did you call that timeout? But I think I, think I agree with you in that every shot, it doesn't really affect the next shot, but why not get an extra – shot in if you're feeling it so i have to agree with ethan on this one then i think you had another champ yeah and then then the next one from my dad was champ or chump appetizers over desserts and i i had to think about this one for a second and i've come to the conclusion that it's a champ and my reasoning is this if i go to a restaurant and i'm gonna eat dinner 
very often I will order an appetizer. Very rarely do I ever order dessert. That's not to say I don't eat dessert. I might go home and have something. But in terms of sitting down at a restaurant, appetizers over desserts. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually going to have to 100% agree with you on this one. I, uh, you know, Usually I eat so much I don't get to dessert. So, And it starts with an appetizer. So, that yeah, I, I agree. Okay, and so uh, for this third champer chump, I'm actually going to take this one from former coach and athletic director Nick Nelson's Twitter account. And uh, like we've talked to him about, he's doing some officiating this year in some high school games. And so if you follow him on Twitter, uh, he's put out these officiating basketball 101 comments and, and tips. So uh, one of his tips, and I want to get your champer chump thought on this, when a ref says before the shot rather than on the floor when you call a foul that is not a shooting foul. Champer Chump saying before the shot rather than on the floor. Uh, chump. It, it's the foul's on the floor. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's what you should That's what you should say. All right. Fair enough. Ethan's shaking his head. He has no opinion. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> All right, so uh, like I said last week, Kent Malone, who's been rocking it with these questions, uh, he had sent in a whole bunch of questions, and we put a few off until this week. So I want to get those in. And these are more recruiting-oriented, so these might be kind of interesting to get some insight from you. Uh, And the first question is, have you ever recruited someone on the phone or been in a game only to realize that they've already committed to a D1 school? No, I don't think so. I think in this day and age of – you know, I – I, I guess, hold on, I need to backtrack here a little bit. When I first started recruiting, and I'm not that old, but I've been coaching college basketball, this is my 14th season, and when I first started recruiting, it was all done on landlines still. You know, I had a cell phone, but I would generally make my recruiting calls in the office, on my office phone, and I was calling home phones. You know, we were still in the age of you only got so many text messages a month, and then you got charged extra for them. You know, Ethan doesn't even know what that is. Um, you know, so it's probably possible. I don't remember a situation like that. You know, it's probably more of called a kid and found out that they had offers at much higher levels than the NAIA. That probably happened. But actually committed, no, just in this day and age of social media, it's all out there. And, you know, kids, for better or for worse, put – a lot of their lives on social media so you're you're probably going to know about it you know actually it's funny you say that because um well my younger brother noah he's a he's a freshman at south dakota state um this year um actually that that happened to him he was he okay first he committed to wright state um in dayton ohio and he was committed for i think it was it was it was good two to three weeks and he kept getting these these text messages and i i can't quite remember what school I want to say it was uh Concordia Moorhead uh I think they're a D3 school in Minnesota but yeah no they, he just k- kept getting these uh texts and calls and finally um he answered which is huge for Noah if you know him um but and he just had to tell him uh you know he I, he committed to Wright State a while back but yeah no it's funny you say that because I've I, I've seen it happen all right so the next one this is a great question who are the two best high school teams you've seen play in your lifetime uh, and he said you can pick one from Nebraska and one from Iowa, and who would win if they played? You know, Ethan's over here shrugging, saying, what's up? How come no South Dakota? So 
tell you what, let's uh, modify the question and just say the best two high school teams you've seen play and what happens if they play each other. Uh, I, I think probably the best high school team I've seen was De La Salle out of Minneapolis, which is where uh, former player Jeff Dobbinton went to high school. And in his time in high school, I think they probably had pushing double-figure Division One players and a couple of guys who one I think is in the NBA and maybe one or two more that can be or could be in the future. They were really good. They won six or seven straight state titles. Um, and that, that could even still be going. I'm not 100% sure, but they were really, really good. Um, Omaha Central was on a run about eight, seven years ago. They won seven out of eight state titles. They were really, really good. Those are the two that stand out immediately. I never saw the Ames High teams play with Doug McDermott and Harrison Barnes, so I can't, I can't throw them out there. Yeah, I think those are probably the two best, and I, I think De La Salle wins, and I don't think it's that close, to be honest with you. They, they were really, really good. They were fun to watch. I went The first time I saw them, I went when we were recruiting Jeffrey. I went to an open gym at 6 a.m., and I was just blown away. And it was, I was joked with Jeff about it that sitting in the stands that day was me, the associate head coach at Oregon, an assistant from Minnesota, and another D1 head coach. I don't remember where it was from. It was a smaller level, but uh, – you know, I was definitely the outlier there, but uh, they, they were really good, fun to watch, very well coached, and an awesome high school gym. Awesome high school, actually. If you know Minneapolis, it's literally on an island right over the bridge from downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, sorry, Ethan, the 2017 T Titans state championship team doesn't make the cut today. So this next question is kind of in the same vein here. Um, in all your time recruiting – uh, high school players who's the best player you've seen play at the high school level if we're talking recruiting I'm gonna go back to that De La Salle team uh, the the year before we recruited Jeff they had a kid named Reed Travis who played at Stanford ended up transferring to Kentucky I think he's in the NBA I'm not 100% sure I think he is um, he was really good they also had a point guard named Jarvis Johnson who went to the University of Minnesota and ended up having a heart issue that kept him from playing college basketball he was really really good those are the two that really stand out to me I think uh this isn't when I was recruiting this is when I was playing one of the best players I've ever seen in person was a guy I played against his name was J.C. Carroll he was from Evanston Wyoming and my high school team played in a tournament out in western Wyoming I'm not sure why I'm not sure how it started we did it for a couple of years though and he ended up the all-time leading scorer at Utah State and when he graduated, he was old. He was, uh, he was part of the LDS church and had gone on his mission. But uh, by all accounts, he was going to get drafted. And I actually came across, and one of my high school teammates sent me something. He still plays in the, in the Euro League um, for one of the top teams. But he was unreal. He had 55 points on us. He missed one shot in the game. There's no crap. He missed one shot. He's 24 for 25 for 55 points. And the only shot he missed was a tip dunk. <laughs> he was unbelievable. J.C. Carroll, look him up. He could stroke it. All right, and then this last question, uh, similar to a question we had last week. What is your best story of you or someone you know meeting someone famous? I think last week we talked about etiquette for meeting a, a professional athlete, but this just says someone famous. So I guess this could be an actor, musician, whoever. Well, sorry, Nick. This is a, this is a Nick Nelson story. And this goes back to, uh, it was April 2012. 
my first year at Briarcliff after the season. We had had a good year. We went to the Final Four as a staff. So at the time, it was myself, Nick, Ron Schultz, and Angelo James. And the Final Four was in New Orleans, which is a great Final Four city. Unreal food. Great place. Final Four is there two years from now. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, so they used to. I don't even know if they still do it, but Nike put on a big banquet the first night, which is Thursday, when everything starts at the Final Four. And it was free if you're in the Coaches Association. They have food. Um, you know, it's just a big buffet line. A lot of people go. And so we were sitting there, and Todd Berry and his wife were there that year because Coach still goes to the Final Four sometimes. And if you know Coach Berry, he can talk to anybody. And he, he will go up and talk to anybody. And uh, so we just randomly sat at a table with an old guy, older guy, and got to talking with him. And he, he was a longtime high school coach in Detroit. And so he'd seen some players. And we were, we were asking him questions, you know, who's the best. And I remember he said the, probably the best player that we would know that he ever saw was Chris Weber, which no surprise, stud. So anyway, we're sitting there eating, and, and Nick was to my left at the time, and Tom Izzo walks over to our table. And this, coach, this high school coach, I can't remember his name, but he stands up and they hug. They knew each other. Obviously, Izzo had recruited some of his guys, and he was a big deal in Michigan. And if you don't know, Nick Nelson's a huge Tom Izzo fan. And so he, he hits me on the leg to get my attention. And he says, hey, that's Tom Izzo. I said, yeah, I know. I know who Tom Izzo is. I watch college basketball, thanks. And uh, he looks at me. He's like, should I get up and talk to him? I said, yeah, why wouldn't you? And so he, he's giddy like a schoolgirl. <laughs> you know, I, at the time I likened it to uh, my analogy was he was like a 13-year-old girl meeting Justin Bieber. That's what it was. But uh, so he stands up. He walks over to Coach Izzo. He says, hey, Coach, my name is Nick Nelson. I'm a huge fan. I just wanted to introduce myself and shake your hand. And so Coach Izzo shakes his hand, whatever, and he looks at him and he goes, and this is a direct quote. I don't care what he says to dispute this. This is the direct <laughs> quote. Tom Izzo said to Nick Nelson, it's not that big a deal, man. <laughs> and so that, that, that's my favorite story to tell, and that's 100% accurate. I will fully admit that I exaggerate and embellish things, but that is 100% what happened that night in New Orleans. Ethan, do you have any good stories, somebody you've met or anything you've heard? Um, actually, yeah, I do. Uh, I was at a, I was in an AAU tournament in um, uh, Kansas City, and uh, uh, Howard Pulley uh, was playing Mocan Elite, and there were it was Trey uh Trey Young and Michael Porter Jr., two of the best high school players I've ever seen. Um and then they played against Trey Jones, uh, who play, was playing up and Gary Trent Jr. Um and you know, Trey Jones is I'm a huge Duke fan. So if for the people who don't know, you know, Trey Jones is killing it at Duke this year. Gary Trent Jr. is in the NBA for the Trailblazers. Um you know, Trey Young is unbelievable. He's an all-star this year. And Michael Porter Jr. is also in the NBA. So, like, that was – it was a crazy, crazy game for me. And uh, I was with my brother. Um, my brother was there and a couple of my teammates from on my AU team. And after the game, you know, they, every, they were giving out, you know, taking pictures and all that stuff. And uh, one, of my, one of my AU uh, teammates just straight up walked up to uh, Gary Trent Jr., and slapped him on the butt and said, good game, dude, <laughs> and walked away. 
You know, I can't be positive. I'm pretty sure I was at the same game. I, I remember watching that game, and it was a it was a deal where there was nobody on that court. We were recruiting at Briar Cliff, but I had an off time, and and there was actually a hospitality room on a stage in the gym, kind of overlooking the game. And I I watched it from up there. Is that I think it was at Olathe South High School. It was one of the Olathe schools down in Kansas City, but I was I, I'm pretty sure it was the same game. And I I I'm gonna shamelessly just name drop because. Uh, when I was a junior at Briarcliff, I think, we had Jody Sweeten from Full House. She played Stephanie Tanner, the middle daughter. Uh, she was a speaker here at the Cliff talking about her struggles with meth addiction and all that. I got to pick her up from the hotel. So I chauffeured Stephanie from Full House to campus, uh, and she couldn't have seemed less interested in talking on the way there. She was on her phone. She kept turning the radio up. Uh, she just wanted to get where we were going, and she wasn't interested in talking to me. But that's kind of my uh, my only famous person story. She was very nice, though. I want to throw that out there in case she's a listener of this podcast. Uh, you know, she might dispute that. But great person. That's my, my one interaction. Okay, so, Ethan, the last thing we're going to talk about um, is the starting five, which, as our listeners know, consists of a starting five, a six-man, and then uh, the guy, the person, the thing – that got cut during tryouts because it was just that bad. So uh, as our guest, we're going to allow you to pick the category for this week's starting five. What are you thinking? Um, I think we should do uh, all-time college basketball coaches. All right, this is a good category, Ethan and – for those that oh, – probably nobody that listens really knows this. Of all the guys in our program, Ethan is definitely the basketball historian of our program. And a lot of times on Thursdays, we do Trivia Thursday as part of our pre-practice stuff. And anytime it's NBA, college basketball, where did this NBA player go to college, a lot of times I just tell him he's not allowed to answer until some other people have a chance because he knows them all. Um, so no surprise, this is the category. And I'm going to start my point guard on this team. I have some pretty strong thoughts about this person, but the record and championships speak for themselves. It's John Wooden. Um, and I'm not going to go any further than that on my thoughts on UCLA and the championships they won and whether or not they were bought. <laughs> but that's it. Um, so he, But he's the point guard. You know, 10 championships, whatever it was, obviously the record speaks for itself there. At the two guard, we have Mike Shashevsky. Multiple championships, just incredible sustained success at Duke over pushing 40 years at this point. And, I, you know, it's interesting. You hear some of his former players. I heard Jay Billis talk about in this day and age, when he first got to Duke, he would have never lasted. He would have been fired. Because it wasn't until his fifth year that they, they got good, and it was a recruiting class of Jay Billis and – and Tommy Amaker and, and David Henderson and some of those guys that got him rolling, and the rest is history. But uh, I think that's a, a great example of just sticking with a coach and, and letting them do their thing. Starting at the three, I have Dean Smith. You know, you stick with that uh, tobacco road rivalry right there. And he was, he was a gold standard for a long time in college basketball. And the guy, you know, and I'd say the same for Krzyzewski, guys that I grew up watching college basketball when not every game was on tv like it is now you'd get a couple games a week here or there you'd have a 
Big Monday, Big Ten game, and Super Tuesday, maybe a Big Eight game. And then the weekend games, I swear it was always Carolina or Duke that was on. So I grew up watching those. And so Dean Smith's definitely in there. At the power forward, I'm going to go with Bob Knight. Um, you know, my, my grandpa was not a fan. Being that he and I were huge Iowa fans, he used to – he didn't really cuss Bob Knight, but he kind of cussed Bob Knight when Iowa would play Indiana, and he thought he got a lot of hype from Dickie V and in the media. But he was a good coach, and, I mean, he, he built that Indiana program. So he's going to be my power forward. So my, my five-man then, and this, this is not indicative of the size of these coaches, just kind of how I'm ranking them. My five-man's Roy Williams. You know, he's, he's done it at a couple different places, which I think is impressive now talking about two of the elite programs in the country he's done it at but he's had sustained success for a long time and I, I think that's so impressive the coaches that do that um, so he's in there my sixth man my sixth man is John Calipari you know a guy that's done it at, at a few different places which I think is impressive didn't go great for him in the NBA but then went back to college and obviously he's had it rolling at Kentucky and so he's my sixth man and then I know you're going to ask me for who I cut, and I'm not going to give you an answer to that, Matt, because I know firsthand this is a tough business, and I'm not, I'm not here to bash any coaches. There's some that I don't like. There's some that I think have done a poor job at places they were at. But I'm not going to throw one under the bus because it's a hard profession, and uh, I don't think anybody necessarily deserves that. So, Ethan, take it away. Who's your starting five? All right, so – First off, I'm going to start my point guard. Got to be with the greatest coach of all time, Mike Krzyzewski. Um, You know, like Coach said, the sustained success, um, being Duke's coach, and just the unbelievable amount of wins he has. For the listeners, Ethan is a huge, huge Duke fan, so uh, this is like the least surprising thing ever. And then at the two guard, um, I never said it had to be men's basketball so I'm gonna go with Gino Oriema the UConn women's basketball coach because the run they had where they won about I think it was 95 straight games was I remember I was in high school at the time and it was unbelievable just talking about it like oh my gosh they won again oh my gosh like it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger um you know and like this like the sustained success he's had as well um and then at the three I'm gonna go with Bob Knight you know just an absolute legend, what he did at Indiana. And actually, fun fact about Bob Knight, when I was uh, when I was in middle school, I played for uh, South Dakota Network, and my coach was Kasib Powell. Uh, played it, played for the Sky Force, um, was the G, or was, at the time it was the D-League MVP, and he actually played for Bobby Knight at Texas Tech. So, um, you know, I've heard some good stories about Bobby Knight. And then, okay, where am I at? The four... Uh, I, yep, I got to go with, as much as I hate to, I got to go with Roy Williams. Um, you know, what he did at Kansas and now what he's doing at UNC, just completely, they're always the top team wherever he's at, you know. And I actually had the chance to meet him um, last year for my brother's Player of the Year ceremony. And, um, you know, he's, he's, just, he's a great guy and just an unbelievable basketball coach. Um, and then at the center, oh man, I I wanna actually I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll I'll go with John Wooden, just because you know, however many championships he won, he just blows everybody else out of the water. 
So, and, you know, that's the ultimate goal is to win championships. And then for my sixth man, oh, man, there's so many. Uh, but I, like, it, it's kind of a sleeper right now, but what he's done in his first, like, I don't know, 14, 15 years at Kansas, uh, Bill Self. I mean, they went on a run where they won. Uh, I know, but, and I know, it's, it's tough. It's just they're always at the top one of the top teams in the country when he's been at the helm. Um, okay, and now I'm at my cut. And, I, you know, one of the worst just college basketball coaches I've ever witnessed, and he's just, you know, he's always got this grumpy look on his face. It's um, Bobby Beach Patterson. <laughs> he is uh, he's, he's a, he's a coach at Dakota Wesleyan University. And, you know, I just, I just wish he would take that grumpy look off his face and just have a little more fun. Um, the game of basketball is fun, and I, I hope Bobby listens to this and learns a lot. So there, there's my starting five. BC Buckets has never shied away from uh, giving Bobby some crap, Coach. No, it's it's actually strongly encouraged, <laughs> whether whether he's part of the podcast or just a listener at this point and, and part of the opposition. All right, so a uh, reminder, just one game this week. That'll be Wednesday here at home against Dort. Women will play at 6 and the men will play at 8. Make sure to get here to the Newman-Flanagan Center. Fill this place up. Three more home games to close out the regular season. Uh, so, again, 6 and 8 on Wednesday. Ethan, thanks for coming on. Uh, on behalf of Coach Ethan and myself, that will do it for this week. We'll talk to you later.